This is All Saints Sunday, and in the tradition of the Anglican Communion, it's one of the favorite holy days uh, throughout the Anglican Communion. It affords the opportunity for the preacher to talk about the saints, the communion of saints, and how we might understand what that means. Uh, this is the Sunday when you ask, what does it mean to be a saint? Why should you get to be a saint, or how do you get to be a saint? Why should you want to be a saint? Why does the church make such a big deal about the saints? What saints are we commemorating on All Saints Day? And how can I understand the importance of sanctity in my life? When I was uh, in 1968, my mother gave me for Christmas a book by W.H. Auden, the poet, called A Certain World, A Commonplace Book. A commonplace book was something, particularly in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, people of letters would publish books that were a series of quotations that they had gathered from uh, their life in letters uh, and some of their stuff they wrote themselves. And it was, uh, reading the book was supposed to be a way of gaining some insight into what uh, these people were like and how they thought about things and so forth. So that it was an alphabetical order and, you know, be things like a visit to a lead mine, you know, that kind of thing. But there was an entry on the saints. And there were three or four quotations and one of them was by the... Uh, writer G.K. Chesterton, whose Father Brown stories are back on PBS. Chesterton uh, said, The communion of saints means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. The communion of saints refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking around. <laughs> so in the renewal of uh, baptismal vows, which we're going to do in a little while, we'll say in the baptismal creed, which is the Apostles' Creed, just as we do in the Nicene Creed, that we believe in the communion of saints, that somehow we're all here together, past, present, and future, and we need to have some full understanding of the nature of sanctity. It's very difficult because there have been so many centuries where thinking about saints has been affected by the institutional demands uh, required in officially creating saints. And the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, has preserved the practice that has, was in place for the first thousand years of Christianity. And that is that the saints, A, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, were considered to be all of us together, but also the saints that we remember on the calendar were the result of the local celebrations that were created around Christian people throughout the Christian world who had a particular influence and effect on that local community. Originally, it began with commemorating the martyrs, those who gave their life for their belief in Jesus Christ. 
And ultimately, it became also the commemoration of individuals within these communities who may not have been executed for their belief, but who exhibited certain qualities that people said, we would like to remember those, and they have a specific effect on how we now look at our life in a new way, an effect on our emotional, spiritual, and mental states. So when I was in seminary, every year on the anniversary of the death of Blessed Jackson Kemper, the first missionary bishop of the Episcopal Church, who was buried in the cemetery at Neshota House, we used to trek up there after the liturgy, and we would go to his grave and we would say prayers. When this first occurred, when I was the, the first year I was there, I must confess that the thing that had the greatest effect on me was 104 seminarians in black capes traipsing up to the up to the cemetery while the bell at St. Mary's Chapel continued to toll. It had a profound effect on how I understood the practice of religion, I must say. But Jackson Kemper was important. So was James Lloyd Breck, one of the founders of Neshota House, John Henry Hobart. All of them are commemorated on our calendar of the Lesser Feasts. Here's the new one. This is called No Longer Lesser Feasts and Fast. It's called Holy Women, Holy Men. Don't drop it on your foot. <laughs> it's received a lot of criticism because there's just so many people in here now and they're adding people right and left. And there are two views. And I must say I'm between the two. Uh, or I see the wisdom of both. The first is, is that one of the characteristics of the Anglican Church as part of the English Reformation, realized that we needed to pare this baby down because we were celebrating saints every day and on Sundays we, were trans we weren't remembering it as a feast of the resurrection. We, it was Saint Mother Cabrini's shoes. We celebrated that day and we did all of that sort of thing. So simplification was probably a good plan. And yet, you know, people had the idea that there was a period of time when this sort of process of sanctity and the revelatory experience of people in community with one another had ceased. And so the idea that we would not want to do this in future with others seemed uh, not quite the thing. And so we have added names contemporary. The first Lakota Sioux Episcopal priest. You know, 50% of the Sioux Nation are Episcopalians in the Dakotas. The first Episcopal priest, Lakota, was the father of Viney Deloria, who wrote the book, Custer Died for Your Sins. Ooh. But he was the first Episcopal priest and was very faithful. So he's on the calendar. And there are a lot of other people who are on the calendar who come from a theological tradition that we originally had great difficulty with. First of all, let me say, we have on our calendar William Tyndall, who was one of the Bible translators. He was an irascible Protestant reformer in the Church of England. He translated the Bible in English. The Tyndall translation was one of the ones heavily relied upon by the translators of the King James Bible. William, uh, I think he would have been difficult company. 
he was pretty tough. There's a great biography of, of him that has been out for the last four or five years. It's, it's really very, very good. Well, William Tyndale is on the calendar. He probably wouldn't like it, but he is. But so is Juan de la Cruz, St. John of the Cross. And so is St. Ignatius Loyola. And Saint is, so is St. Teresa of Avila. Why, that had made the, uh, William Tyndall's hair stand on. And, of course, some of them weren't alive when he was, but be that as it may. So maybe the idea is that we have a more expansive and flexible understanding of what it means when we refer to the communion of saints. In the Bible, saints were uh, defined as uh, in more than one way. One who lived before the time of Christ, members of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, a synonym for the faithful. And so we had a variety of ways of doing this. And then as the institution began to, uh, you know, do a lot of detail work, which is always the case, we began to define saints as one who was in heaven with the Lord, one who would intercede for the needs of the earthly church and respond to those needs, one who merited public honor and cultic recognition by the church. The first calendar of saints that was universally used in Western Christianity came to us from Charlemagne. Charlemagne had an advisor from England, from York, a deacon named Alcuin. Alcuin ran the school in Aachen, in what is now Germany. And he said, you know, king, what we ought to do is have a calendar that we can use everywhere in the Christian world. So the Italian saints, we can commemorate the German saints, the French saints, the English saints, the Belgian saints. There was no Belgium, but that whole Frisia. Wherever we want to talk about, we want to have those saints. And so he said, make it so. And so we come up now with the first calendar in the sacramentary that gives us this sort of connection with the universal church. Alcuin ran the school at Aachen. And in his day, we had liturgy all day long, every once in a while. And it was all sung. And you had boy choirs who sang the liturgy in Latin. So between services, they went to school to learn Latin grammar. And so they were called grammar schools. Where we got the word grammar school. So a rich liturgical tradition in the communion of saints be that as it may, we have always thought of as the saints uh, as a, a, expressors of great religious power for people. But here's the thing you need to know. On All Saints Day, the people that we're commemorating are not mainly the saints on the Christian calendar. They're not St. Luke and St. John and St. Matthew and St. Teresa of Avila and St. Ignatius Loyola. They are the saints that all of us know who are anonymous. Us too. 
That's who we commemorate. Every one of you has somebody in their life that if you thought about it, you'd say they were, they were saintly. I don't mean, you know, a lot of people confuse sainthood with a huge capacity and tolerance for victimization. You know? Florence, you know, she's just a saint, which generally means that she had to put up with God knows what in the family, right? A difficult husband or somebody that was a hellion in one way or another. So that's what sanctity is, you see? But we're talking about people who had enormous influence on us in terms of increasing the depths of our humanity, uh, helping us in vocational ways, giving us the idea that we are valued and beloved of God, even if they had no faith tradition of their own, that they did in some way give us that inspiration and that ability. And those are the saints that we commemorate. And in the readings for today, they are the saints that we're talking about, particularly when we get to Ephesians. So I'm going to talk about the readings now, uh, all three of them, because they have different uh, facets to the ways in which we might think of sanctity, saintly behavior, how the church has understood what this means. We're on a three-year cycle now in the Revised Common Lectionary, and so in cycle C, the third cycle that we're in, we read from Daniel, from the letter to the Ephesians, and from Luke's Gospel, where we have his version of the Beatitudes, Matthew is the best-known one, and we call that the Sermon on the Mount. And Luke, we have the Sermon on the Plain, because he's in a different geographical space when he delivers his uh, Sermon on the Plain. So we'll talk about that. But first, Daniel. Daniel is an example in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, of apocalyptic literature. It's like the Book of Revelation. And I've said to you when I've preached on the uh, book of Revelation that it is uh, about, I subscribe, there's, there are different views on this. I subscribe, I think it's called preternity, pre, can't remember the word anymore, but it means that what's described in the book of Revelation has already occurred in history. So everybody who read that book knew exactly what all the symbols meant, knew what went on in the Roman Empire and what was being described, and what in symbolic terms was being offered to the readers with regard to God's comforting presence in the midst of tribulation and suffering. So in the reading from the book of Daniel, a fair amount of the, of, of the book of Daniel is not in Hebrew, it's in Aramaic. And I remember in Hebrew class, Father Hunt would love to do this while he got away with it once, but he would say, he'd come into the class and he'd say, once you got to know how to work your way through the Hebrew, he'd say, turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, which is this. Go, turn to chapter 7. Okay, Brewer, read to me. And you'd start to, you'd start to look at this. The, char the letters are the same. The characters are the same. You start to read it and you couldn't understand what the world it meant. He'd laugh. It's in Hebrew. It's not in Hebrew. It's in Aramaic, right? What Jesus spoke. The difference in, in, between Hebrew and Aramaic is like the difference between maybe Spanish and Italian. So you can vaguely, but, I, but no. It just, I had a classmate 
named David Seltzer who'd had some Hebrew in college, and he used to wear a T-shirt all the time that had a bunch of Hebrew characters across his chest. And when I began to read Hebrew and be able to pronounce it, I realized one day I was looking at it and it said, Shazam! (laughs) So here's the thing. Daniel is talking about a real historical occurrence that happened. And because of the way it was written, we know when it happened. We have the dates. 167 to 164 BCE. And he was talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid king, coming into Jerusalem, conquering Jerusalem, going into the interior of the temple, raising all of the stuff in there and putting his own statue in the temple in Jerusalem. That, for some pious Jews, was the end. A group that was really deeply offended by this ran off to Qumran. And they formed a group we call the Essenes. And they wrote what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they said to themselves, we don't need to temple in Jerusalem anymore. It's been desecrated, and the only way it's going to get purified is when the Messiah comes. So we're waiting for the Messiah, and in the meantime, we have a way of functioning and surviving as pious Jews right where we are in Qumran. And that's what we're going to do. And some of those people were also still living in Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus knew about them because in, in, in Matthew and elsewhere, he says some things that lead us to understand that he knew about the Essenes and what they believed, and so did John the Baptist. So Daniel is speaking about, here we are in the midst of this difficulty, and the saints, the faithful, are going to be comforted in the midst of their tribulation and difficulty, and they can reasonably hope for things to get better as they cooperate with the divine purposes that each one of them will learn is important in order to fulfill the promises of God. So it is a testimony about the reciprocal process that is involved in God's saving work and that God's saving work often comes to us in the midst of suffering. And difficulty, and it's very hard for us to see, to understand, or to believe this. And yet, many of you know that if you've been through a difficult patch, you will look back on that in your personal history and realize, I have no idea how I got through that. The only way I must have got through it is by God's grace. I can't put my finger on it, write a theological dissertation about how it has occurred, but I know spiritually, emotionally, and mentally that is what happened. I've said this to you before. Edwin Friedman, one of my heroes, said in a lecture that I heard him give before he died, he said, I've been a, li- I've been a congregational rabbi for 45 years. I've been a licensed marriage and family therapist for 40 years. 
And he said, I used to be so interested when people came and to talk to me about things and would rehearse to me a long catena of their personal suffering and the difficulties they went through, their issues. He said, I really am not interested in hearing any of that anymore. What I am interested in is how are you still standing? What tools have you developed to enable you to continue on? And how might we share them with other people? And oftentimes, the saints that I've just spoken of that are anonymous are the people who were able to commend uh, to us those things that they have gone through and how they have come out the other end, or at least have some reasonable understanding of what this is all about. So sanctity may have something to do with listening to those uh, anonymous voices. Paul in Ephesians is giving us uh, the word on how he understands the saints. And he refers always to these communities, the constituents in these individual churches that he founded as the saints. So it's almost a generic term. And he expresses his gratitude for the saints. And he's at pains in this reading to say that the saints are not merely a sort of cordoned off elite group within the body. They are the body. Now, to be sure, there are certain gifts and abilities that stand out. But all of us exhibit this element of sanctity within And it's because we possess God's spirit. We possess the inner light of God's presence. And Paul, in Ephesians, is talking about that reality and his gratitude for them, anonymous people who were in the Ephesian church and have risen to the occasion in the midst of great difficulty. There are two... uh, Sermons or Beatitudes in the Bible. One is the, the one we know most and read from, from Matthew's Gospel. They're all Beatitudes, all blessing. And Luke is four blessings and four woes. Matthew has Jesus deliver the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes, plus an extended preaching about the, what it is that's, that's involved in Uh, how you respond to the divine initiative. And it's delivered on a mountain. Well, who else in the history of the, the Jewish people delivered something from the mountain? Moses. Moses is, Jesus is for Matthew, the new Moses. And so he has him on the mountain delivering the Sermon on the Mount. Luke has Jesus On the plain, it says in the original language, a flat place. And Luke is there because Jesus is with all of us on the same plane, on a level field. And so he speaks about the nature of of blessedness and some cautionary words, some woes. So this is why it's important to read the Bible in bigger snippets than the readings for a Sunday. Because in Luke's gospel, remember a couple of weeks ago, we read Jesus 
I read it actually last week because it was the Feast of St. Luke. Jesus goes into the synagogue in his hometown and he rolls out the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah and he says, the captives are going to be set free, sight to the blind, the hungry uh, fed, uh, people who are sick healed, the transformation of, of, of the way in which we understand one, one another. And he says, in your hearing today, this scripture has been fulfilled in me. And what that means is that in my ministry, if you listen to me and you understand my teaching, you will be given tools that you can use. And you do not have to wait for some other age to come in order for this to become a reality. You are part of making it so. You are to engage in the transformative work of God now, not somewhere else. Or wait till you die and go to God. You're here to be part of that enterprise. And what that means is, is that you're going to identify yourself with the deprived, with the poor, with the hungry, with those on the margins. And you don't have to wait for it to become better because you can help make it better with God's grace. And he's at pains to say that to the people and to those who are smug and he has four woes that describes this. You better watch out because you never know. Friedman used to say, just when things seem, everything seems to be going right, watch out. So Jesus said, you need to be uh, concerned about that as well. You need to be concerned about other people. You need to understand that God's presence isn't sort of on again, off again. It's continuous in the hearts of all faithful people. So Jesus gives today the promise of God in a way uh, that may make some people nervous but seems to be the heart of the gospel. If you want to get down into the nitty-gritty, boring details of biblical scholarship, in all probability, this tradition that Luke used to describe the Sermon on the Plain is the more primitive of the two traditions, of the Sermon on the Mount tradition and the Sermon on the Plain tradition. That doesn't mean it's better. It merely means that it's giving you a different stratum of the teaching of Jesus. Matthew was useful because he's interested in our motives and in our spiritual transformation and our emotional maturity and our mental stability. And so that's why blessed are the poor in spirit. So we recognize our need uh, to mature in the spirit, just as an example. So this week, give thanks for all the saints that you know that are known only to you that have had an enormous effect on your life. Give thanks for the opportunity you may have had unbeknownst to you to share some of your sanctity with other people through your practical wisdom. And give thanks for the fact that God needs you to fulfill his plan for the cosmos. Amen.